0: Uh, So one of the bad boys of Christmas, right? Well, we have our bad boys even in the Christmas story, right? I mean even the season of the year when we're supposed to be joyous and happy and everything's good news and then there's these bad guys. Dr. Seuss gives us the Grinch. Charles Dickens gives us Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And even at Christmas time, these names come find their way into our conversations. In fact, Maybe you've been called Scrooge probably sometimes that happens to us or maybe you've been called the Grinch I don't know hopefully not but these bad boys do come into the story now One thing that helps us to to appreciate that is the bad boys of Christmas eventually become good guys, right? I mean eventually the Grinch yeah, he turns into a good guy Scrooge he turns into a good guy So we have the bad guys who become good, but what about this in the real Christmas story? There's at least one good guy That goes bad. How about that? One good guy that turns bad. Or at least he starts out somewhat good, but before long, before the end of the story, he is terribly bad. He's one of the missing characters of Christmas. We're talking this month about Christmas characters who don't make their way into our nativity sets, right? I'm sure you have a nativity set, or you've seen a nativity set, and everyone has certain characters, each one of them. You know, it varies, but all of them have a baby in a manger, right, in a feeding trough with some hay. All of them have Mary. What would Christmas be? We can't leave out Mary. All of them have Joseph. And, you know, we expect that. And then some, if they get a little bit more elaborate, and they have shepherds. And the shepherds, of course, bring their sheep. And, and, and then every now and then we may even see some wise men. There's always three of them. By the way, there's nothing in the Bible that says there were three wise men. It just says they brought three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Sometimes the wise men are there. Sometimes there's a camel who's added to the nativity set. But you know what? There's also some very important people to the Christmas story who are never seen in the nativity. They're missing. Last week, for example, we talked about a couple that's critical to the Christmas story. Their names were Zechariah and Elizabeth. You remember that? Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, the forerunner for the coming Messiah. Very important to the story, but I don't think I've ever seen Zechariah and Elizabeth in the Nativity. Today we're going to talk about another person who's missing from the nativity, but is very important to the Christmas story. At least in the sense that he teaches us a valuable, valuable lesson. His name? Herod. Herod. Now, if you know Herod, you're thinking, why would he be put into the Christmas story? Of course, he's not in the Nativity. If you don't know Herod, let me tell you a little bit about him. History knows him as Herod the Great, he's also known as Herod a ruler. Herod was a very crafty politician as a matter of fact he was born into a political political family with political connections and everybody assumed that he would be in a place of leadership one day at some point in history Octavian became the ruler the Emperor the Caesar of Rome and was given the name Augustus Augustus meaning the exalted one well he was the exalted one and Caesar Augustus became the ruler of the Roman Empire as a matter of fact history begins to turn a corner at that point, and no longer calls calls it the, the Roman Republic, it's known as the Roman Empire. Why? Because Augustus, with a strong arm, begins to rule the empire, the kingdom, and whatever he says goes. One of the things that Augustus did was recognize that the Jews, down in this land known as Israel, these Jews were rowdy. And they tended to be rebellious and immediately Augustus begins to think that am I being rowdy or something those lights sure got bright all of a sudden can y'all bring those down just a tad I would deeply appreciate it so they say these these Jews something we have to do something with these Jews and so Augustus says let's put a ruler down there let's put someone in charge down there and so he named Herod as the ruler of Israel now, here's what he did further. He said, to make sure these Jews understand, I'm going to call Herod the king of the Jews. Ah, Keep that in mind as we go through the text in a little bit. Herod was named by Augustus the king of the Jews now if you know Jewish culture and Jewish life, you know They had nothing to do with that. They wanted no part of Herod as their king They wanted no part of a king from the Roman Empire ruling over them They believed that their prophets as their prophets had said that a king was coming a Messiah was coming and that Messiah Whomever it was would rule and reign in Israel. They wanted no part of Herod. So Herod decided to try to win them over. I know what I'll do. I'll try to act Jewish. And so he began to try to act Jewish. He began to uh, to, to follow, for example, the dietary laws of the Jews. You remember they had a strict, strict dietary code. They could only eat those animals which were considered clean. They could not eat unclean animals to this day. The Jews who are very orthodox to this day who are very kosher will only eat clean animals, clean meat, not unclean It's it's a pretty complicated system, but basically if the animal divides the hoof and chews the cut, it's considered clean If it does only one of those or none of those, it is unclean And so they had a system, and of course we all know that one of the unclean animals is pork, right? And all the bacon lovers said boo right no we, we we like our pork today our our ribs and well let me quit talking about it. it's lunchtime but he, he he said I'm gonna keep the dietary pattern and so he did he didn't eat pork he didn't eat the unclean meats he ate the clean and everybody's saying this is a pretty good guy early in his reign he decided to win some over by helping the poor maybe if I can help the poor and and, and give to the poor and give to the needy and so he did that pretty good guy the problem is this good guy Took a big turn because this good guy decided I'm going to maintain my grip on this kingdom, this throne, no matter what. And then he did what happens to most of us who grip hold of earthly things. He began to get a little bit paranoid. And felt like everybody was against him. And everybody was a threat to the throne. Everybody was a threat to come and take over. So Herod went on a binge. And he would, de- he would determine to eliminate anybody who got in his way. To the extent that Herod murdered his son-in-laws. Okay. Herod murdered his mother-in-law. No, don't, do not say amen and punch anybody, guys. Whatever you do right there. Murdered his mother-in-law. Also killed his own children. You're like, how can anybody be that way? Herod was not a nice guy. He may not have been green with long fingers, but he was a grinch. He was worse. Herod would do anything to hold on to his throne. Now, Herod became known as Herod the Great because he was a builder, not because he was a great military man, not because he was a great ruler. He became known as Herod the Great, maybe that you've heard him, because he was a builder. Did you know Herod built seven palaces? He built seven theaters. He built uh, uh, raceways, competition sports competition theaters. He built everything he could think of to build, including maybe his most famous, a restoration of the Temple of Solomon. It became known as Herod's temple. He was Herod the Great. In fact, he built two places that are still in Israel today. Every time I go back to Israel, two of my favorite places to visit are places that Herod built. Caesarea Maratina, Caesarea Martima, which is Caesarea by the sea. It's a palace and a beautiful structure, a beautiful city that is right on the, the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful place. And the second is Masada. Masada is a, is a stronghold and also a palace of Herod built right into the side of the mountain. It's incredible. Herod the Great, quite a builder. But what I think Herod probably needs to be known for today, for our purposes, is he was a ruler who was determined to hold on to his throne. And whatever got in his way had to be moved. He didn't care what it cost him. If it cost him his family, no big deal. If it cost him his friends, no big deal. He was holding on to his throne. Throne. In fact, it was such that Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that the people came up with a saying and the people would say of Herod, better to be one of his pigs than one of his sons. Meaning he may try to be religious, but he's not fooling us. So what does that have to do with us and why talk about such a character as this at Christmas? I'll tell you why. Because frankly, we sometimes act like little Herods. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go around murdering our family. I'm not saying that. But oftentimes, we too struggle with who's going to be in control of the throne. I'm not talking about the throne of Rome. I'm not talking about the Roman Empire. I'm not talking about Israel. I'm not not talking about the USA or Florida or or, or Suwannee County. No, no, no. I'm talking about the throne, if, if I could use this language, the throne of our heart. Who's going to be in control of my heart's throne? And what am I willing to do to hold on to that throne? In fact, that's really the big idea that I want to approach this morning. And what I really want you to see today is that question. I want you to be challenged with that question. What is, what is it that you or I are willing to do to have control of our lives? And when will we learn that we don't do a very good job? So let's investigate Herod. Let's look at how he fits into the Christmas story, and and really, maybe we can get help in this matter of who's in control. Herod's story is in Matthew chapter 2, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and I want to read the first 12 verses and work our way through them, just kind of unpack them as we go, and then draw some conclusions from that that I think will really help us with a so what to this whole thing. So what? What does it have to do with me? It's good history. What does it have to do Well, history has a lot to do with all of us, so let's follow through. Chapter 2, verse 1. He begins by saying, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. So Matthew, like Luke, dates his event. He wants us to know the time period. It's important to him, and so it's important to us. Now, Dr. Luke tells us, About the birth of Jesus he tells us what happens before the birth he tells us what happens at the birth now He's telling us about something that has occurred After Jesus is born now. I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a spoiler threat uh, a spoiler alert here We're going to find out. We're going to learn at the end that maybe Maybe we've been a little bit erroneous in our thoughts about our nativity Because we're going to find out that after the birth of Jesus may well have been a year or two years later. So the whole thing with the magi, the whole thing with the camels and the gifts, probably did not occur when we think they did in the nativity. As a matter of fact, it occurred after. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod. So there he is. There's our king, King Herod. After the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now get the picture. Matthew tells us that everyone is fine in Jerusalem. Everything is going about their normal business. Herod is in his throne in, Jer- in Jerusalem. He's in his palace, and he's enjoying everything's good. As a matter of fact, history tells us that he was, it was actually a pretty good uh, time in the economy of Israel. There were some people who were happy that he was there. There are some people who were not happy that he's there. Hello, does that sound like American politics at all? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Some are happy. Some are not so happy. But one day, while minding his own business... Herod has guests from the the east. Now, the east, keep in mind, the east, these guests, these magi, are likely from modern-day Iran or Iraq. Okay? So keep in mind, this is the, you remember the conflict that we see today is nothing new, not, not at all. And so once again, these visitors come from the east. These Persians come over to visit Herod, and they have a question for him. And the question is, hey, king, Where is this baby, this child that's born king of the Jews? Now, how do you think Herod took that question? What do you think Herod thought about that? Wait a minute. Augustus said, I am king of the Jews. And now you're saying there's a baby born who is called king of the Jews. And immediately, Herod begins to feel defensive. There's one who's coming, who's competing for my throne. Now remember what he does to people he doesn't like who are competing for his throne. So Herod responds. Look at verse 3, and you see his response, and we probably should not be surprised. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. I'll bet he was. Because now you're saying that someone is coming who is going to usurp my throne. Who's going to take over the throne that is mine, that Augustus has given to me. He's disturbed. And then I love this next statement, and all Jerusalem with him. It, I, I can't help it. It reminds me of this statement, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You ever heard that before? Well, if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So the whole of Jerusalem is Disturbed. Maybe they're disturbed because the Herod is making life terrible for them Maybe they're disturbed because they don't want to see change Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? None of us like change. Maybe they were afraid of the political change that was about to take place. And you know what? What's that going to do to our economy right now? The economy's not too bad. Or, Or there were some who thought, well, I like the way Herod rules. And I don't know why, but overall, the situation causes a stir in Jerusalem because these wise men, these magi, these astronomers from the east have come. And they're saying, there's a child that's been born and he's the king of the Jews. What are we going to do with that? Well, Herod has an idea. Look at verse number 4. In verse 4 we read, <clears throat> So he, that is Herod, assembled all the chief priests and scribes. The scribes are the, are the men who wrote, who copied the law, who wrote out the law. Men who knew the Torah, knew the prophets, knew the writings. He knew the Jewish scriptures. He called them together. And he he asked them, so where is the Christ, the Messiah, Hamashiach in Hebrew, where is the Messiah to be born? In other words, he's saying, if I could kind of paraphrase, he said, okay, guys, I remember, I know enough, remember, I've been playing Jewish, I've been playing religious, I know enough about the Scripture to know that somewhere in there, there's talk of a coming Messiah, a coming King. But I don't know where it is. Now, when I read that, immediately I think about all of us. How many of us has thought that? I know the Bible says so and so. I don't know where it says it, but somewhere in there it says. Be careful when you start talking like that. You probably don't need to know where it is because you might well be misquoting it. So be careful. They said, I know, Herod says, I know that somewhere in your scriptures there's talk about a coming king. Where where does the scripture say he's coming from? Verse 5, the men answer, in Bethlehem of Judea. They told him because this is what was written by the prophet and you now he's quoting you can read this in the Old Testament scriptures You can read this in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 if you want to go there later You can read it, but here's what it says. It says and you Bethlehem So these guys are reading the Hebrew scriptures to Herod and you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah why would he think that? He would think that because while Bethlehem is a kind of romantic place to us, and I know when I take people to Israel, one of the places they must see is Bethlehem. It's just such a romantic, such a, a warm, heartwarming place. But in that day, Bethlehem was just a little village, five, ten miles from, from Jerusalem. There were just a few people there, not many. And, and it was a, a no-place town. Was one little inn. It was really just a house. Nothing special about Bethlehem. And so the prophet writes that and says, Who are you? You may seem like you are least among the princes or the rulers of Judah. But then he says, But you're not because out of you will come a ruler. Catch that note. A ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Uh, That's not what Herod wanted to hear. I don't really want to hear about a ruler. I'm the ruler. I don't want to hear about anybody who's coming to take my throne who's supposed to be king. I'm the king. But they pointed out to him what the prophets said. Born in Bethlehem. I'll tell you what is special about Bethlehem. It's name, Bethlehem. He said, what's so special about it? It comes from a combination combining two Hebrew words together, Beth- which means house, Bethel. You've heard of Bethel, house of God. Bethlehem, lechem is bread. So Bethlehem is the house of bread. What an appropriate place for the one to be born who would later say, I am the bread of life. He that eats this bread will live Forever. what an appropriate place for the one to be born who would later break bread with his disciples and said take this and eat it in remembrance of me because as this bread is, is, is punctured my body will be punctured and understood that the body that was given to him become our bread, our sustaining, our sustenance our means of reconciliation with God what an incredible place but in that day Nah, just a little town, just a little village, no big deal. But now it becomes the focus of Herod the Great. Why? Because he senses that there is a competitor for his throne. Now, what he missed is this. Jesus was not competing for his throne. Jesus would compete for his heart. Let me say that one more time. That's pretty good. Jesus was not competing for his throne. Jesus was competing for his heart. And I can tell you today that what Jesus is competing for in your life is your heart and the throne of your heart, not your abilities, not your talents, not your money, not your fame, but your heart. Herod missed that. You don't want to miss it. So what happens? Well, I think you know this next part of the story, but let's read it anyway. Herod, verse 7, Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star appeared. He said to them, uh, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, now get a load of this, go and search carefully for the child, and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, watch this, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. I can see him kind of rubbing his chin, his beard, as he's saying it, just like a Grinch. Yeah, go and find this child and tell me where you found him because I want to come and worship him also. And if you believe that, I got land in the Everglades for sale. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to eliminate him. He didn't want to worship and honor him. He wanted to take him out. I can't have anybody competing. Not my wife, not my sons, and not some kid in Bethlehem. He didn't want to worship. He had ulterior motives to his worship. And can I just stop and say, we have to be very careful today because sometimes I'm afraid we who are little Herods come under the cover and the disguise of worship. But what we're really looking for is something for me. Something for me the problem is Herod finds out what we need to find out and that is we cannot hide who we are from God We cannot hide who we are from God you can hide who you are from me You can hide who you are from your husband from your wife from your kids or your parents You can hide who you are from your friends and acquaintances. You can hide who you really are at work, but you cannot hide who you are from God and Herod did not fool the God of heaven. You know how I know that? Well, let's, let's read on the story. I want to finish it. It says, After hearing the king, verse 9, After hearing the king, they went on their way, that is the wise men, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped over or above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned, here we go, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So God was not fooled. He knew their heart. He knew what they were after or what Herod was after. Even if they didn't perceive it, God did warned them of a dream and went back another way now before I move on I want to just clarify something I want you to see the difference that verse is pretty is pretty pretty specific isn't it and it also reminds me of a verse in Luke's gospel but it reminds me not because it's alike but because it's in contrast if you look very carefully at verse number 11 it says They entered the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling down, they worshiped him. You remember what Luke says about the shepherds? It says that the the shepherds were in the field, Luke chapter 2. The shepherds were in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. You know that, don't you? And then it said, the shepherds said, when the angels had gone away from them, the shepherds said one to another, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And then verse 16 says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, the wise men come to Bethlehem and they enter the house and they see Mary and the young child. See where I'm going with this? Yeah, there's a clear distinction in the original language just as it is in our English language a clear distinction between baby and child and a clear distinction between manger and stall and a house. This is probably a year up to two years later after the birth. Oh my, what am I going to do with the wise men of my nativity now? I keep them in there. Nobody knows the story anyway. But anyway, whatever it is, it's later. This is sometime later and we believe it's up to 2 years later and here's why if our paul harvey had said now for the rest of the story for those of you old enough to know who paul harvey is the rest of the story we'll look at next week so i don't want to get too much away except to say that when herod realized the wise men were not coming back you know what he did he sent his armies to bethlehem and said go through the town and any boys two years and under, slaughter them. And there was a great slaughter in Bethlehem of two-year boys, boys and younger, because Herod wanted to make sure that nobody grabbed his throne. He was so in control and wanted so badly to be in control of the throne of his kingdom. That he was willing to slaughter every two year old boy and under. Now, before you're too hard on Herod, my question again what are you willing to do to keep control of your heart? You see, for us, there's a throne also. The throne is not a kingly throne, the throne is not in Rome, the throne is not in home, the throne is your heart. Let's talk about your heart for a minute. Who's ruling your heart? Who's in control of the throne of your life? Does that make sense? Are you seeing the analogy? Who makes that? Who's in charge? Who's in control in your life? And what we need to ask ourselves often is, what are we willing to do to maintain that control? And I ask that question because I see it all the time. I see people who are so intent on being in charge and being in control of my life, I don't care what the consequences are. And often the consequences are you're killing your family. Maybe not with a head chopped off. Maybe not with a sword. But it's killing your relationship. It's killing your marriage. It's killing your family. It's killing your, your career. It's, it's killing things. And, and we just stiffen up and, and get stiff-necked and stubborn. And I'm going to hold control of my life no matter what. When I think the lesson of Herod is that in order to really have control of our heart, You need to let it go. To really be in control means to let it go. We have to surrender control. You see, what Jesus wants in your life right now is complete control. He wants to be on the throne of your heart. But you have to let him. Why should I? I, I'm going to confess something here. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to confess these things, but I have to sometimes. My grandchildren come over to my house, and, uh, or I'm at their house. They love to play video games. Are they weird kids, or do all kids pretty much like video games? Well, here's the thing they know by now that I'm not a big video game guy, and so all they got to do is sucker me into playing a game, and they can just wipe me out. Right? It's the one thing, buddy, I guarantee you, they can beat G-Daddy at all they got to do. Now, I've learned by now, don't get involved because they're just going to cream you. And I'm a little bit competitive, I admit it. I don't want to be creamed by a four-year-old, you know? But one day, I decided, you know, I think I'm going to jump in here. They're playing NBA basketball on the video Game. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know a little bit about basketball. I think I'm going to jump in here. They're egging me on. Come on, G Daddy. Come on, G Daddy. You want to play? You want to play? You wanna play? Yeah, I think I'll play. So they hand me this little box thing. They say, G Daddy, this is your control box. This puts you in control of the players. I said, oh, okay. I'm in control. I like that. So I'm looking at the box, and it's got all these arrows, and it's got all these buttons, and all this stuff. I'm looking at my player on there, and, and before I realize it, my merciful grandchildren have already started the game. Oh, no, we're in this thing, G-Daddy. Go for it. And I'm looking at my man, and he's not moving. And I'm getting creamed already. We've just been in a couple of minutes, and I'm already six points down. And I begin to try to—I'm in control. You know, I'm finding buttons, and, and I don't know which arrow to push. I don't know which button to push. I don't know, do I jump? Do I not jump? I don't know how I go to the right. Do I go to the left? What do I do? All of a sudden, it's 20 to nothing now, and they're looking at me just laughing g Daddy right there. You got control right there in the buttons, and I'm trying my best, but I'm Realizing I'm getting nowhere. I might be in control But my game's a mess (laughs) Until my little four-year-old comes along Says, G. Daddy? Let me have that thing. I'll show you how to do it. I'll give him control of the box and my man starts moving What's my point? The point is, sometimes we're, we're no different. We have this control box of life and we feel good because we're in control. But in reality, we don't really know what bus- buttons to push or what arrows to follow. And we look at the screen of life and our man's just sitting there getting creamed. It might do us well. No, it would do us well to learn that our Heavenly Father is beside us saying, give me control. Let me push the buttons. Let me point the way. Let me move in your heart and in your life. Give me the control. Now you can sit there like, gee, daddy, hard-headed, stubborn, I'm going to figure it out. Or you can say, you know what, God? I've tried it and it's not worked out real well. I think I'm going to give it to you. Now, we don't like that because we like to be in control. Can I get an amen or at least a head shake or at least a nod or at least a grunt? We like to be in control. I do too. But I'm telling you, the way to be in control is to let go, give it to the Lord. And let him do what he knows to do. How can I trust that, Pastor Eddie? How can I trust that? You Listen carefully. You, you don't necessarily trust what you want him to do. You trust him and his character. And know that whatever he does is going to be right. Because the Apostle Paul said, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose and who surrender to him the joystick. Well, the last part did not in there. Pray with me, would you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, you're a powerful God who is in control whether we think so or not. You are the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present. God, bring us to the place that we can trust you, I'm praying today for those in this crowd or those of me who may listen to the podcast I'm praying for those today including me God that want to hang on and be in control And God forgive me for those times when I just want to hang on be in control all the whole time my life is being beaten and a mess Now teach me to trust you with the control of my heart, my life, my family, my finances, my career, my ministry. Forgive me, Lord, where I've been stubborn and wanted to hold on to the control stick. Even being a little Herod pretending all the while to worship you and in the truth I've only been concerned about me turn our hearts Lord Jesus I pray right now in the quietness of the moment just before the lights come on and just before we move on to other things would you search your heart What are you willing to do to hold on to control in your life? Are you willing? Are you willing to chase evil? Are you willing to see your family destroyed? Are you willing to see your life destroyed? Or are you willing to surrender it to Jesus? The way to gain control is to let it go. Release it to Him. Maybe right now at this moment, even before we sing, you should just release control to the Savior. In just a moment we're going to sing, and we're going to sing about the sweet, precious name of Jesus. Jesus, the lover of our soul. Jesus, the savior of our soul. Jesus, our master. Jesus, our king. And his beautiful, beautiful name. When the angel appeared to Mary, Gabriel said, you'll have a son and you'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins have you ever just spoken the name of Jesus there's power just in speaking someone said the mere breath of the name of Jesus the devil has to flee have you ever experienced that moment when you've been down and you just spoke the name Jesus or you've been discouraged or you've been in doubt and you speak the name Jesus time when you're heartbroken you speak the name Jesus time when you're joyful and happy Jesus 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 there have been times I wanted to just at church just have everybody just shout out Jesus 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 see if we can't scare the devil out of this place one thing I know his name is beautiful and his name is powerful So stand with us. Let's sing it together.